Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn from Focus Compounding on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to go to focuscompound.com to get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005. If you're interested in learning about our money management services, you can click the invest with us tab right here and you will get all the information you will want uh, to learn about our money management services. Of course, if you want to uh, start that conversation and go a little bit deeper, you can reach out to me at andrewatfocuscompound.com and uh, we'll uh, go from there. So in today's podcast, Jeff, we are going to be talking about something that's probably been more so on every investor's mind, um, more so recently than it has been in quite some time. And that is analyzing prior peaks at companies and really deciphering if um, you know the present company you're looking at is going to be able to surpass that uh, past peak um, uh, that that company probably either achieved through COVID or prior to COVID, if it was more of an entertainment-based business, uh, you know, companies like that that got hurt through um, COVID. So um, obviously, it's something that we think a lot about on the podcast as we're going and in our own investing as we're going through and valuing these companies. A lot of times, what you'll do when we do pull up a company at QuickFS and you sort of just do a back of the envelope approach to it is you'll take a three year average, for example, of like net income or free cash flow and kind of uh, get to evaluation like that. But um, as you're going through and looking at a bunch of different companies, I just want to hear how you're sort of thinking about prior peaks that a company made, um, how you, you know, think about if that is sort of the, um, you know, the high watermark going forward, or if that's going to be an achievable thing going uh, forward for these companies to surpass and how you're just sort of thinking about it. And we could pull up through QuickFS a few different companies that uh, have had a prior peak and either they have surpassed it or they haven't yet and just how you are thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So the first one I have up here is Meta, actually. And um, uh, you can see right here that in 2022, they were down 1% um, uh, from 2021 obviously meta stock re-rated on the way down and i believe it has been coming back up again but you know how would you have thought about that and in sort of you know within your mosaic of value investing how would you have been thinking about okay can they achieve this again was that a one-time thing um is this a cheap investment or is it actually not a cheap investment take us through your thought process so first can you tell us what gross profit was in absolute dollars in the last three years Sure. So I'll go from 2020 onward. 2020, 69 billion. 2021, 95 billion. 2022, 91 billion. Okay. So you had a decline in gross profit, right? In fact, you had a fairly large decline in gross profit um, for this kind of company. Uh, there could be reasons why that happened, but um, a big possible reason, I guess, with Meta is that they have different units. And so that could explain it in some way. Um, that's also the problem with some of the revenue. Some of the revenue, they could have revenue growth even before them that isn't really profitable for them because they have a super highly profitable business and they have a business that loses lots of money. Um, they, 
have very high market share. So truthfully, there's high risk of having much lower results in the future than in the past as compared to most companies because they could lose a lot of market share and stuff. So it's not an industry issue. It's more of a specific company issue. So in this one, I would say concerns about market share and stuff in the business that really matters and then whether they'll shut down the business that doesn't matter um, are the two factors. And so figuring out how much they spend on the business that doesn't matter and also figuring out um, whether they'll lose market share over time. The other thing is with tech companies like this, and there's lots of articles about this and everything, there were problems where they were growing very fast. And so they were hiring people. And in fact, they probably told people not to hire people, but they still hired them anyway. And they went over their budgets and everything to do that. And so there's a lag, sort of like we we're talking about with Coinbase, where like their employees peaked when their business was going down because they don't immediately shut off the hiring. Um, and the increase in like uh, headcount and stuff is one way to look at that. So it can take them a year or so to adjust to that. So you'd have to know that. But that's a pretty big one. Um, so things like rent and um, employment and stuff, sometimes you can figure out about a year ahead of time how much it's going to grow, and there's no way to shut it off immediately. So they'll usually have a bad year when they decide that they're going to fire a lot of people or stop hiring them or whatever. Um, so those are the factors that I would take into account. Uh, it's kind of unforgiving, though, in the case of Meta because there's not much they can do other than get back to their previous peak because they had such a big share in the market and everything. So it's easier if you have a much smaller share here, you know, it is harder. Mm. Uh, I mean, the probability that they'll get back to the same level and stuff is high, but the severity of a loss, if they, in scenarios in which they don't get to a previous high, might be extremely large. So that you know that that would be unusual for other kinds of companies, right? Um, uh, for food things and stuff, other than like a Bud Light or something, it would never happen that you would have a collapse in that. But it could happen more in tech things um, than others, right? So if you compare it to other advertising things and stuff, the probability it gets back to the same high is at least as high or better than others. But the severity, if it doesn't, how big a decline it has is probably a lot bigger with this than it is with other advertising uh, supported companies. Mm -hmm. Sounds to me it's sort of like deciphering between is it a operations uh, problem or is it a market share problem, right? And you would be a lot more worried if it was a lack of market share issue i.e. competition. Yeah, well, we know there's lots of competition and it keeps copying other things and doing what they're doing to offset that over time. Um, but it's sort of uh, leading indicators of soft sign stuff was bad for a while that we've talked about, like it, decreasing engagement across all sorts of things, um, all sorts of things, whether it's the way this, that the um, apps and things are being used or the amount of time it's being used or whatever is declining. Um, and so they've copied other things and whatever to stem some of that. And the overall industry might be growing pretty fast. So that could offset some of those things, but clearly there's a decrease in the competitive position that's greater than the decrease shown in the financial results, right? So sometimes you have decreases in financial results that you say, how bad is this and whatever, but sometimes you say in the underlying business, is it really worse? In Meta's case, it's worse. It's like when we talk about Dollar General. If you like look at the stores and whatever, it seems worse than the decline that they faced and it seemed like it happened first and then you had that happen. So you had a leading indicator that way. Same sort of thing with Meta and that's not news to anyone. Just what we're talking about with TikTok and everything. Um, so it doesn't mean they can't copy those things and retain a lot of that stuff and whatever, but it does mean that there is heavy competition. 
uh, and in some other industries there isn't. So this is an industry with very, very heavy competition. They're feeling the effects of competition. So you want to be careful about that. How would you be thinking about Bud Light, for example? I mean, have you ever seen a company go yeah. through something similar to that? No. I mean, does that long term no. actually destroy the business? Is that, yeah. you know, how would you be yeah, thinking about so it? So both Med and Bud Light, the problem is that they have extremely large market share and that it's very hard to gain market share. Um, like uh, that would be when scaled to the proportion of the size of the business that they had, it'd be very, very difficult. So if you have 5% market share or something, you have a problem like this, it's not the same thing as if you have 50% market share. So that's the problem. You have a lot of stupid articles written there like, well, most people are in favor of this or that or whatever, right? As if if 55% of people like it if your brand does this and 45% don't, then you're not harming yourself. But actually, if you are a very popular brand, um, then you cause serious harm to yourself. If you're not a very popular brand, you wouldn't. Uh, you, you could actually benefit by taking these kinds of um, – doing these kinds of marketing things and stuff and this kinds of controversy and stuff if you're a very small brand. Uh, if you're Virgin Cola competing with Coca-Cola, having even – things that are not popular associated with your brand, but getting a lot of attention to it would grow your market share. But if you're very big, it's bad. And so that's the problem that that um, both Bud Light and and Facebook and, and Meta, you know, through all their apps face. Um, they have extremely high market share. And so the probability that they lose a lot if they get anyone, um, uh, if they, it's, uh, they'll lose market share over time. Both of them won't end up. I mean, I don't know if they'll get back to their prior peaks in terms of revenue for all these things. I don't think Bud Light will ever, but um, uh, but they will um, not ever have the same market share again, most mm -hmm. likely. Mm -hmm. Let's go over Six Flags, right? So prior peak being uh, 2021 during COVID, mm -hmm. most entertaining entertainment outdoor things. Um, obviously we're incredibly busy. Um, how would you be looking at Six Flags Entertainment as it sits here today? The world is opened up again. Movie theaters are open. Um, there's more options for people to go and spend money. Yeah. How would you be thinking about? So Six Flags is a special case, um, as is meta and stuff. Cause you know, things that you don't see in the financial statements. It's important to look at that. And um, in this case, we know what their strategy is, and the strategy has changed. So what they want to do is have much lower attendance, actual number of people going through the gate, um, and make more money. So they want to increase their EBITDA to uh, $700 million a year, and they want to do that with lower attendance than they had before in the previous peak. And so it's just a question of how they can achieve that, how they achieve that with uh, a different model. And when we talked about the company before, I said, no, I'd stay on the sidelines waiting to see what happens. Because when you change a lot of pricing things and whatever, you're going to have a lot of that sort of problem um, that you have rapid change in something that normally didn't rapidly change. So like Bud Light that way, right? So normally didn't change, then it rapidly changes. You want to be careful about what just happened. Um, Six Flags is the same thing. They try to change to be a less value-oriented um, company. And to be more trying to attract people who will have higher spending uh, per head while they're in the park, who might attend less often but have um, more profitable mix for them over time and all of that. And um, that's going to upset a lot of people. So it's part of their strategy to have a negative reaction to some extent from some of their fans and stuff. But then it requires um, getting it from other people, right, to offset that. 
So, you know, it's like when we talked about the JCPenney, um, right? Trying to make changes that way um, where they wanted to switch more from the sense that things were constantly on sale to, uh, you know, different, you could say more premium, but more everyday, um, closer to actual, the list prices are closer to realistic prices. Um, and so that kind of pivot is the same sort of thing that you're seeing here at Six Flags. The analysts don't like it because of that. Like if you listen to the calls and stuff, they're very focused on the attendance thing and kind of wanted them, I think, to drop their strategy. Would you be interested in Six Flags at these levels and just everything that you know about their strategy going forward and the changes that they're implementing? Maybe. It's the right strategy. Um, Six Flags have... But but you can't change things overnight that way, whether it's the perception of the company or the people that you've attracted or any of that. And so they have a really big problem that way. But yeah, for a couple decades now, they haven't really raised prices uh, overall to keep in, uh, in line with inflation and stuff in the industry and everything. And they haven't, um, uh, they've done a lot of things that leads to a lot of inefficiencies and waste um, and to a less desirable kind of um, product. So a cheaper product, but a product that involves longer waits and bad food and overcrowding and all that kind of stuff, which is the result of having things bundled in a way that you have unlimited amounts of this kind of stuff or um, selling season passes instead of selling individual tickets and all of that Um you prioritize that kind of thing and you get a certain kind of audience and um, switching it so that you can have fewer people making you more money makes a lot of sense. Six Flags is fairly cheap compared to the amount of people that go to Six Flags. So if you look at the actual number of people in millions and stuff who go to Six Flags each year and you compare it to what the company's prices and everything, how big a stock it is, uh, it looks very attractive that way. But do they have the wrong segment of the population? Right. I mean, what matters is the profit pool and stuff, not just the amount of revenue that you could get off of something. If you have all the the sorts of um, part of the um, industry's uh, potential audience, right, the, the total addressable market, you have the part of that market that is less desirable, then maybe it's not as good. Um and should be valued cheaper in terms of sales and things like that. But they have a strategy for what the goal is 2025 and the amounts that they said and everything. And that's what they're kind of pursuing. Um, and there's some signs of changes that they've made, but there's also sometimes signs that maybe they pivoted back from that um, a little bit. I think it's happened. Like half. what? Mm, I think they're maybe, a. I don't know. I'm not sure they're a hundred percent committed to, accepting attendance declines in the short term to the extent that maybe they should be if they really want to implement this plan. But, you know, and I think part of that might be just that the focus of analysts and stuff and covering the company and things, I do think that that might be a bit of an issue, um, them covering it, the news about it and stuff. There is certainly a focus on attendance um, that maybe it's best not to have too much focus on. Um, rather than to have a focus on how they achieve the EBITDA goals that they have and what that means. And so it could be here's the level of CapEx that we have, here's the level of advertising we have versus here's the amount of revenue that we bring in associated with that and stuff. Um, you know, uh, I it's not as bad as like streaming or something, but there is some there is some difficulty... I think in carrying out the strategy that is most likely to work or 
I mean, you with whatever strategy you adopt, it has to be coordinated and you have to carry it through. And so if you kind of do everything half and half, I don't know that you're going to achieve what your goals are. And the, the what investors, analysts, people looking at quarter to quarter are going to want and what the company probably should pursue are probably two different things. But that's true for lots of industries and stuff. That's been the problem in streaming and stuff, that the what things that they should do and what Wall Street was promoting are two different things. And it definitely uh, warped their um, decisions about pricing, allocation of things, advertising, whatever. And um, that is the potential for that Six Flags. Um, you know, so it's an interesting CEO that they have and stuff. But I think it's a CEO that would probably like for the analysts and everyone to get on board with what they're doing. And not someone who's just going to... Um, say here's how we're gonna do it, and you know you're asking questions that aren't don't fit our new strategy and stuff. So. Mm -hmm. How do you think uh, Six Flags stacks up to Cedar Fair ticker fund? Um, it's got 1.8 billion in market cap, 4.2 billion in enterprise value, and they're already past what was their 2019 uh, peak. In 2022, they did 1.8 billion in revenue. 20 uh, 19 was one point basically 5 billion in revenue, mm -hmm. uh, just across the board, gross profit, uh, operating profit, everything is, you know, been cooking. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of company. As you can see, it's a Cedar fair LP. The companies have different histories. Six flags history as a company overall in the very long term is not good. You know, I mean, like uh, it may own properties that are desirable properties and it may have a brand that everyone knows, but it's not considered probably a good organization that has been successful over time. Cedar Fair is a more successful company. I don't think anyone would think that Cedar Fair isn't better run than Six Flags and its predecessor companies. And that's been true for most of the corporate history of them. I don't know what the long-term stock performances and stuff. Six Flags basically got wiped out years ago, but um, and Cedar Fair is complicated because it basically distributes everything, it, you know, its earnings. So, what about a company that is tied towards um, a commodity? So maybe more cyclical. Um, uh, obviously, you get prior peaks based on uh, um, the cycle, or natural. Uh, in this case, NACO, uh natural gas mm -hmm. prices. Uh, so in 2022, they did 242 million in revenue. Um, natural gas prices were way higher, which drove that. So how would you be thinking about like the valuation of a company like NACO? I mean, it could be any company, but I just wanted to mm -hmm. pull this up because you know there was a prior yeah. peak here uh, right. because well, of NACO, commodities. Sure, NACO is very complicated. Um, one, the revenue stuff doesn't matter because they have the consolidated and unconsolidated subsidiaries. And so what matters is the earnings, not the whether they consolidate or not, which is similar to when we've talked about um, Points International or Amark Precious Metals or anything like that. I mean, the, it's gross profits that matter, not um, not uh, revenue at those companies. And so you should just cross out the revenue line and stuff because it's accounting fiction there. Same sort of thing here. Their biggest mines are unconsolidated subsidiaries which produce a lot of earnings but don't show up in revenue, whereas in revenue you have things that have fairly low earnings from that. Um, you can look at how much capital they have in different things. The issue with the, the natural gas thing, this isn't like timber or something. Um, the problem is with this or with Vitesse, uh, VTS in, um, in North Dakota, also same as uh, NACO and stuff, 
um, which is an oil company, or with the ones in the uh, the Permian, like Cal and Petroleum or whatever that we've talked about at times, or CNX, um, which is a popular one because it's got a outside the guy who um, involved with the outsiders is on the board there and stuff. Um, the structure in terms of time of the assets in this industry is not very long for a lot of them. It's not very durable, the cash flow. So for instance, NACO on a cash flow from operations basis ha- is actually up over time. So if you look there, um, like they, they get cash flows, that, it's lumpy because they got cash flows from terminations of deals and things like that. But if you take that stuff out, their prediction for this year, most recently they said something along the lines of, here's how much we expect to spend in CapEx and stuff. And they gave a number that's very high, 60s million. And they said we expect our um, uh, free what they the way that they define free cash flow. They don't ever use the word free cash flow, but they say cash flow before financing activities. So that would be cash flow from operations, not EBITDA and stuff, but the actual cash flow minus all the capex, right? So they said that they expect it to you know decrease dramatically or whatever, but that it will be positive. Okay. So if that's true, and they said we're going to spend 65, 68, whatever million on CapEx, that means that they expect their cash flow from operations to be, let's say, 70 million or something. You know, that's all, I mean, what they're saying is it's like $10 a share. It's like a very high number. Um, but the problem is that that cash flow from operations, while it has stayed the same or gone up over time, basically, is that the structure of it has changed. So if you had these big mines that theoretically could produce for coal plants for you know 20 30 years at that level and you've taken some of that money and reinvested it into um contracts for the mining of aggregates and stuff that might be fine like the lithium mine might eventually have a similar economics both in terms of the profits it makes and the time of how long it lasts as a coal mine but shale oil doesn't um it 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 should be worth a much, much lower multiple because to generate free cash flow from – to generate cash flow, I should say, from oil and natural gas, the decline in the production of those resources is very big year to year, whereas you don't have a decline on a nominal basis in those things when you had like the coal and stuff, um, even when there were slight declines in terms of the – Real tons of it, it was small, very small compared to... I mean, even though people say like coal is a dying resource and stuff and oil and natural gas aren't uh, to the same extent, okay, but each individual coal mine actually might have a longer life or the same life as each individual um, oil or natural gas deposit they have. If, if you found oil in some places, you might use it up in six years and the shutting things down and stuff because of environmental concerns or stuff might also take six years for a coal plant. So it's, yes, you could, like, if you keep going into other oil and natural gas, keep finding other things to invest in, whereas you'll run out of reinvestment opportunities in coal. But it doesn't mean that the life of coal assets is actually all that much shorter than the life of oil or natural gas. It is if we're talking about oil that was found a very long time ago, um, you know, that are some of the lowest cost oil and stuff, but not the kind of oil um, that anyone's been finding in the United States. Uh, or I should say that anyone's been drilling in the United States and stuff for, you know, almost 15 years now or something. So this stuff is all short lived. So th- that's the problem. I would say um, you could say we can just do the math on peaks and things, but I think that that 
overlook some stuff. Um, a if you have cash, this is if you have cash flow from an oil well now, it's not as valuable in any way as signing up a customer for your bank or a client for your ad agency or something. It's just not at all. Or, um, you know, given how high churn is in streaming, maybe it's comparable to signing up some streaming people or something. But, you know, it, it doesn't compare that favorably to consumer type things and stuff now. So it's pretty bad that way. So you have to have pretty high returns on it um, for that reason. So the, the quality in terms of durability of the vid is a lot lower. Um, and it's also invested more capital. So if you're asking, can it, in terms of like numbers, can it get back to earning what it was earning before at different points in the future? That's, that's certainly possible in terms of free cash flow stuff. It's not necessarily going to be clean in terms of gap. Um, however, the value of that free cash flow is not as good because the total amount of invested capital is higher. Um, and because the durability of the cash flows from it is lower. So, um, you know, the, the lignite mines in North Dakota are more valuable than natural gas deposits in, uh, let's say Eastern Southeastern Pennsylvania or wherever they are. And, um, uh, or like, or like, um, the oil, even in other places too, the Permian and stuff. I mean, we're not talking about it lasting that long, but even when we're talking about cases with the aggregate stuff, um, the investment in the number of drag lines and stuff that they're financing instead of their customer financing is high. And even the lithium thing, they're basically fronting the customer money for several years. So, you know, it, yes, it can hit previous levels, but that doesn't translate into previous uh, levels in terms of the value that the company would have. Um you know, it's like if McDonald's had to buy out all their franchisees and stuff. Yeah, they'd surpass their revenue that they ever had, but the business wouldn't be as good. The actual earnings right. quality. Yeah, they'd use a lot of capital to do it and all of that. So, I mean, or we could say banks, right? Banks can get back to the level that they were before um, the financial crisis, but on but big banks will never again earn the same returns on equity and stuff because they won't be allowed to work their balance sheet as hard that way. So, like, big banks won't hit prior peaks in terms of return on equity and stuff. Now, Frost might hit its prior peak in return on equity and stuff, but, you know, J.P. Morgan and Citigroup and whatever, they will never hit those levels that they had before the crisis. Mm. So, I guess it's really just understanding the quality of earnings, right? And if you surpass that prior peak, comparing and contrasting um, then till now and trying to think about it from that perspective. I think a good model for people to think about is uh the market share one right like have they actually lost market share and a lot of that would be because of competition um and that's something that would worry you uh versus you know were they able to increase earnings or get back to prior peaks or peak earnings because of an operational uh issue that needed to be fixed and that's something that happened you know b below the gross profit line as opposed to above it yeah, I think when we're talking about NACA, we're talking about something that's like Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, sure, peak earnings and whatever. I mean, we can talk about it, but the company's different every 10 years and stuff. And so, uh, you know, yeah, Berkshire might have exceeded what the textile mills did in its good period at some point 10 years later or something. It, it peaked above that. But the earnings then were all from insurance and and um, 
uh, you know, some profits in a securities portfolio or owning a bank or whatever, like it, it had changed what the company was. The amount of capital that's been reallocated at um, NACO is incredible. I mean, since the spinoff, uh, basically the amount of money that's come back to the company, like been retained. And, you know, if you cumulatively just add up their earnings and stuff, they've basically spun off at a price that's less than or equal to what they cumulatively earned and put back into the business in the year since. So like if it's spun off, it's spun off literally like 22 or something, but it quickly went to like 32. So if you're saying how long did it take them to reinvest $35 per share in the business, they basically hit that already. So the if you're saying like, I just want to buy something on day one that will have all of that reinvested five to seven years later or something, they've completely redone that. Now, some stuff did go into a mine that they already had, um, the one consolidated mine that they had that required that, and that will drop off. But most of the other stuff went into things that are different. So um, it's true that much of the free cash flow or some of the free cash flow is still from the same thing that it was when it was spun off. But really, it is not that similar a company. And it looks radically different. Um, when you project out what the next few years will be than it was before. So just because it has, has a name and a ticker symbol and a stock price that all look the same as they were, say, seven years ago or something, doesn't mean that the company in any way is that similar. You can just get balance sheets from each time, you know, whatever. Um, it is a radically different company. Much of the money that has been put into it has been put into it recently because it's generated a lot of cash to be reinvested in the business during that time period. Now, a lot of it just went into cash that sits on the balance sheet, right? So that's a huge part of it. But they've put at least as much into other things too. Um, so if you go to the annual one for that, you could see some of what I mean, I think. Okay. So if you look, um, there's some things that you can notice. So like uh, you can see how large the cash item is, right? 111 million. And yeah, and you can also see um, the – I mean, the easiest one is just go to the income statement because it should give you uh, – well, income statement or the key ratios, I guess, also gives you the earnings per share. But it'll give you the actual amount of – yeah, there you go. So the earnings per share, right? So if you see yep. the earnings per share since it's spun off, right? So you can see when revenue drops to 100-something, that's when the spinoff happens for this calculation, it's not exactly when this went off happened for the dates. But if you add up those dollars, what were the earnings per share each year from 2015 on? $3.13, $4.32, $4.41, $5, $5.66, $2.10, $6.69, $10.69, $10.69. Yeah. So think about that. The company doesn't pay a lot out in dividends and it certainly doesn't buy back any stock. So that is a lot of earnings cumulatively that had to go somewhere. It either went to cash on the balance sheet, which went up at the same time that the liabilities have really gone down. So mm -hmm. the cash in excess of liabilities when it came out was basically almost one-to-one. -one. Like if you said, okay, we actually have to close down the mines, we have to do whatever, it would have sucked up all the cash the company had in it. Now it doesn't. It actually has a lot of extra cash, although the company wouldn't think it has a lot of extra cash because it knows it has to put that towards the lithium mine over the, the next two years or so. Um, but the rest of it obviously then went into all the drag lines and things like that. I mean, it's selling for significantly below tangible book value. Um, and obviously the mines that make most of the money all this time aren't carried on the books. Uh, NACO can't carry them because it can't 
uh, support them fi financially, uh, which is required to consolidate in the United States. So under GAAP, you, ca you can't, even if you're the beneficiary of all the earnings, which they are, you can't consolidate something which you couldn't capitalize yourself. Um, so that is just a complete change in the company, right? And it's mm -hmm. a complete change on the order of like a Berkshire Hathaway or something. There have been other ones. I talked about, um, I don't know if it calls it Rex American Resources, Rex, you know, but it was Rex stores, Rex Electronics um, stores that switched completely to being an ethanol company after it had been a, um, you know, sort of stores like a Circuit City or Best Buy, kind of that kind of store is the closest comparable. And it uh, went completely out of that and into other stuff. And, you know, it was successful that way. So, mm -hmm. it, but that's what it came from. It, it owned the real estate and had inventory and stuff. It liquidated that stuff and put it into like ethanol and stuff. And um, you could say, could it hit prior peaks from other periods? I mean, all the periods we see there, it was an electronics store. But 10 years before that, does it really matter? It's reallocated all the capital, you know? So there mm -hmm. is a difference when we talk about these kinds of things. This is just the corporate form. Uh, you know, Munger said this. Did General Motors as a... Like car maker have to go bankrupt? Maybe. But there's no reason why General Motors as a corporation ever should have gone bankrupt. That shouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. it, it had certainly had the ability to protect its shareholders. But by sticking in only that one business and pursuing it the whole time, it uh, ended up you know, bankrupting them. But earlier in its history, it made so much money that, yeah, it should have survived. And um, you know, it could have been like blue chip stamps or something that goes away, but it doesn't harm its shareholders. But instead, it's stuck to just doing that one thing. So there's never been a doubt since the time it spun off that NACO's original sources of earnings would all disappear. But there was never mm -hmm. a question when Berkshire, you know, Berkshire didn't invest in blue chip and stuff with the idea that it wasn't going to use the float. So it always been a question of how much money it makes when and what it puts it into. So, um, which is very different than like Facebook or something, which is going to define itself as a tech company and everything, and it's not going to reallocate that capital to something totally different. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. If this is the first time you are joining us, uh, be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening or watching us here today. If you like this website, QuickFS, and want to sign up yourself, be sure to tell them in the checkout that you heard about them from Focused Compounding. I want to thank everybody so much for all the support, and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.